I won't be able to get back over here in time to vote for 7 o'clock, which means I'm basically being denied my right to vote. Hey, welcome to the club, lady. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI in Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, KPSQ in Fayetteville, Arkansas, KODX in Seattle, Washington, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, California on KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. On the internet, thanks to our fine affiliates streaming us every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us for another episode of the world famous bradcast <laughs> um Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Thank you for joining me as well. You Couldn't do it without you. You are welcome, and that is true. Uh, primary elections were held on Tuesday in Arizona and Florida with primary runoffs held in the great state of Oklahoma. And we've got a bit more information today about the massive failures across Maricopa County, Arizona. That's the most populous county in the state. That is Phoenix and its sprawling suburbs. Uh, and it also happens to be the fourth most populous voting jurisdiction in the nation, by the way. The uh, voting system failures across Maricopa kept more than 60 polling places from opening for hours on Tuesday morning for their uh, statewide primaries. And I have been plowing through details to try to figure out exactly what went south on Tuesday in Maricopa County. We'll get to that information shortly. But first, let's get to some of the noteworthy reported results out of Florida, Arizona, and Oklahoma on Tuesday. And remember, as we always caution, none of these reported results are actually verified by human beings and likely never will be. But this is what has been reported by the computer tabulators on election night uh, in the three states after mostly hand-marked paper ballots were cast in all of them. Uh, before being scanned by computers in those three states. Uh, so make of these reported results what you will, because that's all you can do today. All right, the biggest electoral uh, results or surprises in any event come out of Florida today. 
Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum, a progressive endorsed by Senator Bernie Sanders, pulled off a stunning win in Florida's Democratic gubernatorial primary on Tuesday, reportedly edging out former Congresswoman Gwen Graham. Gillum won the primary with 34 0.3% of the vote, the Associated Press uh, finds and reports. Graham is the daughter of Senator Bob Graham of Florida. She won just 31.3% of the vote, so a 3% margin in what was a come-from-behind uh, victory that nobody saw coming. This uh, Andrew Gillum guy was not leading in any of the pre-election polls. Nobody thought he was going to win. But he reportedly has done so, and it defied expectations and is being compared to the win by progressive New York star Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who stunned the political world back in June when she defeated establishment uh, Congressman Joe Crowley in a New York Democratic primary. Gillum will face off against the Trump-endorsed Republican Congressman Ron DeSantis, in the um, gubernatorial election in Florida in November, which pits a progressive candidate against a hardline right winger who was backed by President Donald Trump. So it'll be the battle of the ideology. I guess it will. Uh, DeSantis uh, is currently a member of the U.S. House. He has done everything he can to embrace Donald Trump, complete with a campaign ad in which he builds a wall with his daughter and puts his young son in a Make America Great Again onesie. So, uh, yeah, as as you say, this is a, a fight f from the left against the right. Pretty clear down there in Florida. And a win in November would make Gillum the first black governor in Florida's history. He's also the he'll be the third uh, uh, black nominee for governor running. Uh, there's also uh, one in Maryland and one in Georgia this year. Most recent public sh polls showed uh, Gillum in third place, trailing Graham and former Miami Beach Mayor Philip Levine for the Democratic nod to replace Florida Governor Rick Scott, who is running to unseat Democratic U.S. Senator Bill Nelson this November. Gillum won the endorsement of Bernie Sanders, who campaigned, campaigned alongside the Tallahassee mayor in Tampa and Orlando. And many are crediting uh, him and that campaigning with his really come from behind victory on Tuesday. Gillum and his aides and advisors touted the mayor's campaign as a grassroots movement that would energize progressive Democrats this November. For too long, his campaign argued Democrats had run middle-of-the-road candidates that failed to excite the base, effectively locking the party out of the governor's mansion for two decades in the Sunshine State. He ran, like Ocasio-Cortez, as an unabashed progressive. He's uh, the 39-year-old mayor of Tallahassee who has uh, fashioned himself as a progressive in the vein of Bernie Sanders, preaching the virtues of Medicare for all, a $15 minimum wage. Uh, he's also called for hiking corporate taxes to pay for education funding, among other popular progressive positions like expanding Medicaid under Obamacare, which Florida has so far refused to do uh, under their uh, current uh, Governor Rick Scott, uh, which has left hundreds of thousands of the state's poorest residents without any health coverage at all. 
Gillum and his allies argued that uh, campaigning on progressive ideals would be a winner in a state that has not elected a Democrat to the governor's mansion since 1994, when Lawton Childs won re-election that year. The Cook Political Port, uh, Report rates the um, rates this particular race in November as a toss-up. At least they did coming into the primary. We'll see if that is adjusted one way or another with Gillum's unexpected victory. Uh, Jeff Bergen, a uh, campaign aide for Gillum, told The Hill um, earlier this month that you'll see a united Republican front come this fall. And Mayor Gillum, he says, is the only Democrat that can bring out the Democratic base in the same way. Well, we will see if that is true. Uh, it should be noted that Republicans have reportedly won the last five gubernatorial elections in Florida. And the state's next governor will have control over the process to redraw congressional district maps after the 2020 census. So, Yes, for all of the other reasons that this November is important, add that to the list since governors elected this November will help determine the makeup of uh, their state's U.S. House delegations for the next 10 years after the 2020 census and redistricting process, just in case you thought uh, the stakes weren't high enough already this November. Uh, let's see a couple of other races here in Florida of note. Democrat Jana, Donna Shalala, the former Health and Human Services Secretary under President Clinton and a longtime educator. She won the House primary in Florida's 27th district on Tuesday. Reportedly, Shalala emerged from a very crowded Democratic primary with about 32 percent of the vote. The uh, former Clinton official will face off against Republican Maria Elvira Salazar, who won her Republican primary on Tuesday, also amidst a crowded field, all in the race to replace retiring uh, Congresswoman Ileana ross Leighton in November. Shalala, who served as HHS secretary for the entire eight years of President Clinton's tenure. Remember when cabinet secretaries weren't fired every few months? Uh, yeah, she <laughs> was times. there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she has uh, Shalala was long considered the front runner for this nomination, but faced opponents uh, who uh, including a Florida state rep, David Richardson, who campaigned as a progressive and attacked Shalala from the left. Another Democrat in the race, former Knight Foundation program director Matt Hagman, went after Shalala for her years of experience in Washington, insisting that it was time for new leadership. So in this case, uh, you had a more establishment candidate uh, win in this uh, closely watched race where uh, Ross Leighton's planned retirement has bolstered Democratic hopes in that particular district. Hillary Clinton defeated tr Donald Trump there by nearly 20 points back in 2016. So it is a key target for Democrats as they uh, hope to retake control of the U.S. House in November. The Cook Political Report currently rates that race as lean Democratic. So that's going to be uh, one of the key seats for Democrats in their uh, fight for at least 23 uh, U.S. House seat pickups uh, to take over the House. Also, um, in the big U.S. Senate race, of course, in Florida, no real surprises. Incumbent four-term Democratic Senator Bill Nelson was uncontested for his party's nomination uh, for U.S. Senate. And um, as expected, Governor Rick Scott easily won the Republican nomination 
for what will likely be the nation's most expensive midterm contest. Scott is a two-term and uh, governor and very wealthy billionaire uh, who once headed up a healthcare company that was charged and fined in the largest ever Medicare fraud case in the history of the U.S. So he has that behind him. Well, you know, a lot of Republicans tend to fail upward. They do, and he has. Uh, he's already spent more than $27 million on this race. That compared to Nelson's $6 million, and the uh, right-wing Koch Brothers Network has identified the Florida Senate as a top target this year. Outside groups on both sides are expected to dump millions, millions more, I should say, into the uh, contest. All right, moving to Arizona, as expected, Congresswoman Kirsten Sinema easily won the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate, but on the Republican side to fill the seat being vacated by retiring Republican senator and occasional very gentle Trump opponent, Senator Jeff Flake. It was uh, the winner on the Republican side was Congresswoman Martha McSally, the GOP front primary fr uh, front runner uh, for that nomination and uh, really the most moderate, I guess uh, we can use that word among the Republicans running for it. Don't even know if moderate can be applied here really anymore to any Republican. Perhaps establishment favorite is uh, is more appropriate. In any event, McSally defeated Kelly Ward, who suggested that Senator John McCain's family had announced that he was ending medical treatment in order to try to hurt her campaign over the past weekend. McCain died just hours later that same day. And um, McSally also beat disgraced Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who was was to be sentenced to prison for criminal contempt before being pardoned by Donald Trump. So uh, those two had split the far right vote in that race, uh, though, even if you add together both the, the votes for Ward and Arpaio, it would not have been enough to defeat McSally. That, of course, with an untold number of folks in Maricopa County, Phoenix, likely not able to vote at all on Tuesday because of the polling place failures that we will discuss in a bit. So either McSally or Cinema, the Republican McSally or the Democrat Cinema, will fill Jeff Flake's seat this no after this November's general election. It's thought to be the Democrats' best chance to win a U.S. Senate seat in Arizona in decades. While uh, the Arizona's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, who beat back a GOP primary challenge himself from the right on Tuesday from former Secretary of State Ken Bennett, Ducey will um, won his nomination on Tuesday, and he will name the replacement to fill the late John McCain's now vacant Arizona U.S. Senate seat. Uh, that's, that appointment will uh, fill that seat until 2020. The uh, replacement, the announcement of the replacement is expected probably right after Senator McCain is interred this weekend. Ducey, for uh, his part, will be running against a um, he's a second term uh, governor now, I believe he'll be running against Latino education professor and military veteran David Garcia on the Democratic side. He told the crowd gathered at his victory party on Tuesday night after emerging as the winner from a three-person uh, three Democratic primary, quote, the insiders who have been running the show for decades are running scared because they know their days are numbered. 
Garcia said, we are one step away from changing Arizona. Much of the uh, crowd at his victory party was reportedly comprised of teachers who applauded when he vowed to, quote, build a first-class education system. Garcia supports the Invest in Education Act in Arizona, a proposal that would increase income taxes on Arizona's wealthiest residents to provide more money for schools. Uh, Not unlike uh, Andrew Gillum in the state of Florida. Some Democrats see Ducey as vulnerable this November after his uh, lukewarm support of Donald Trump and the unprecedented statewide teacher strike in the state earlier this year to demand increased school funding. And now Ducey has to run against an actual educator. Nathaniel Rakich of 538.com predicts the former educator in uh, this Red for Ed era. That uh, is a reference to all of these uh, striking teachers across the country, particularly in red states. Uh, This former educator and Arizona's top Democratic vote getter of the last 12 years is going to give, talking about Garcia, is going to give GOP Governor Doug Ducey a stronger challenge than many people think, says Rakich at 538.com. Well, that's encouraging. One other uh, race of note for now in Arizona, Michelle Reagan, the Republican Secretary of State, was defeated and defeated soundly in her re-election bid uh, for the GOP nomination by a fellow by the name of Steve Gaynor, who has called for eliminating Spanish language ballots altogether in the very Hispanic-leaning state of Arizona. In other words, he wants to hold English-only elections in Arizona. And now he has just won the nomination to become the uh, chief election official in the state. At least the nomination on the Republican side, this is uh, believed that it could open up an opportunity for the Democratic nominee, Katie Hobbs, who ran uncontested on Tuesday, to become the state's next top election chief this November. All right, finally, as far as results go, let's go over to Oklahoma. And uh, speaking of the idea of crossing teachers, that has not proven to be a very smart idea this year, uh, and particularly in Oklahoma. James Lambert, who is uh, Daily Coast's elections editor, said there was a GOP bloodbath in Oklahoma on Tuesday night. Six incumbent Republican state legislators lost their primary runoff. Uh, All six had voted against tax hikes to fund teacher pay raises. Again, they voted against these tax hikes and they lost their job. As uh, AP reports it, six more incumbent Republican state House members in Oklahoma lost their jobs on Tuesday. And all six had voted against the tax hike used to fund a teacher pay raise. The tax hike on fuel, cigarettes, and energy production was used to pay for an average teacher pay raise of just over $6,000 annually this year, the first salary increase for those teachers in a decade. But 19 incumbent House Republicans, state House Republicans in Oklahoma, had voted against that tax hike. And many of them are now paying for it at the ballot box of the 19 House Republicans. This is amazing. Of the 19 House Republicans who voted against that tax hike, as Republicans do, 
Eight of them have now been defeated just months later at the ballot box. Eight of 19. Seven others decided not to run at all this year. So only four of those 19 who voted against the tax hike have advanced to this year's general election in Oklahoma. Uh, Kind of amazing. A uh, bruising Republican primary runoff in the race to become Oklahoma's next attorney general was too close to call on Tuesday night. With all of the votes counted late Tuesday, unofficial tallies show Attorney General Mike Hunter leading Tulsa Attorney Gen- uh, leading Tulsa Attorney Gentner Drummond by just 269 votes out of wow. some 300,000 cast. So when people In this say, runoff, I know, yeah. when people say, hey, every vote counts, literally 256 votes, you said? 269 69. at this hour. Yeah. Wow. Uh, very close. Uh, and this, again, this was the runoff um, where you have to have a 50% plus one. Well, they both have uh, rounded up or down to 50.0%. This was a really ugly contest, by the way, between these two Republicans. The winner will face Democratic nominee Mark Miles in November in the normally very red state, but who knows what we're going to f- see at this point this November. Hunter, who leads by 269 votes after the runoff election night, was appointed... By the very unpopular governor, Mary Phelan, uh, to replace former Attorney General Scott Pruitt when Pruitt was named administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency by Donald Trump. Wonder whatever happened to that guy? Didn't turn out well for him. No, I hadn't been following his story. Anyway, so that race for the uh, for, for the Republican nomination will probably still get uglier in the days ahead as the two GOPers jockey to uh, count and canvas the results and any provisional or late absentee ballots, etc. We'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, and finally, businessman Kevin Stitt won the Republican gubernatorial runoff in Oklahoma. He will face former Democratic State Attorney General Drew Edmondson in the fall. Both candidates are vying to replace outgoing Republican Governor Mary Fallon. All right, quick break, and we'll come back and try to figure out what the hell went wrong in Maricopa County, Phoenix. What didn't? That story and much more is next on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Arizona, take off your hobo shoes. Arizona, oh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, after widespread voting problems in Maricopa, that's Maricopa County, Arizona, on Tuesday morning. And um, in contradiction to both the Republican Secretary of State and the Democratic County Recorder, 
The Republican majority, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, incredibly enough, decided to not extend polling hours, despite the fact that more than 60 polling places were closed for hours on Tuesday morning due to voting system failures uh, in the uh, Arizona primary in Maricopa County. That's Phoenix. Uh, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Chair Steve Chukri, I don't know, sorry if that's how you, uh, not how you say his name, but I don't care because I'm kind of ticked at him. Anyway, he said in a statement, the board is being asked to step in and take unprecedented action that may confuse voters, (laughs) delay returns, and have other unintended consequences. One Twitter user quipped uh, to me last night that uh, he meant it would cause voters not confuse them. That was the concern. Just incredible to me that they did not extend uh, the hours at the polling places, given all of the widespread problems that I want to talk about here as we we have learned more. uh, Incredible that they didn't expand the hours. Yeah. And this was in spite of the recommendation by Arizona's Republican Secretary of State, who recommended to the Maricopa County recorder, Mm -hmm. Adrian Fontes, to a Democrat, a Democrat to go ahead and petition because that's the legal process you have to go through. to go to the courts and have it it has to be extended because under state law it has to close by 7 p.m. So uh, working from a reporting here from the uh, Arizona Republic and some other sources as uh, several questions I've sent to the Maricopa County recorder, Adrian Fontes. He's been a guest on the show in the past. Those questions have not yet been answered by Mr. Fontes. I guess he's uh, been busy uh, over the past 24 hours or so for some reason. But so here's what we know and what we don't. When voting began at 6 a.m., according to the Arizona Republic on Tuesday, 62 Maricopa County polling places were not ready for voters. The check-in equipment that allows poll workers to verify voters' identity had not been set up leaving some voters unable to secure ballots for hours. So this would be the electronic poll books at the precincts, which we had speculated on yesterday's broadcast could have been the problem uh, since Maricopa allows voters to vote on hand-marked paper ballots, which are then tallied by an optical scan computer. So it was unclear why a failure of those optical scan tabulators would have prevented voters from voting even if they had failed. Now, yesterday and still today, a lot of the reports are voting machines failed. Um, So that sounded a lot like the uh, systems that would scan the ballots in Maricopa County. Um, But even when they fail, ballots can still be filled out by voters. That's the nice thing about hand-marked paper ballots that don't rely on on a computer. Um, Those could still be filled out by voters left in a locked ballot box to be tabulated later at county headquarters or whatever in the event that precinct based optical scanners are not working. But as uh, suggested on yesterday's show now, it appears to be a failure of the electronic poll books that caused at least the main problem. And if those e-poll book uh, systems are relied on for checking in voters so that they can vote at all, well, that would explain why then computer failures would lead to voters not being able to vote for hours in those 62 precincts. It would also be yet another electronic poll book failure that 
that we have seen so far this year in uh, in the in the primary cycle this year, during which we have argued again and again that polling places must have paper backups, paper polling book backups for such cases. The Maricopa County Recorder's Office blamed its IT contractor for the issues. Uh, the Tempe-based contractor pointed the finger back at the recorder's office. Regardless of fault, Arizona Republic notes thousands of Maricopa County voters found themselves bouncing between voting locations, casting provisional ballots, or in some cases, just giving up altogether. Here's one voter that uh, AP spoke to yesterday. I took the morning off to be able to vote. I work. I won't be able to get back over here in time to vote for 7 o'clock if they're not up within the next couple hours, which means I'm basically being denied my right to vote. Another Phoenix voter, Brent Kleinman, told AP that he went to his polling place twice to try and vote at 7 a.m. and again at 10.30 a.m. He was turned away both times. He ended up at a library having to cast a provisional ballot, which are given out when a person's eligibility to uh, vote is unknown. Kleinman was one of hundreds of voters who waited in long lines two years ago, as you may recall, during the 2016 presidential primary in Phoenix, when then longtime Maricopa County recorder Helen Purcell a Republican had switched from a precinct-based system to a voting center system where any voter presumably uh, can go to uh, the voting center and cast a ballot. These are now all the rage around the, the country coming here to Los Angeles, by the way, be forewarned. Um, but when she made that change, that resulted in 200 precincts being reduced to just 60 precincts or 60 voting centers Many precincts in minority areas had been shut down and there were long lines, up to five hour waits at some polling places. Because they failed to accurately predict voter engagement and voter turnout. They really didn't expect so many people to come out and vote in the 2016 election. And this year, uh, Kleinman said that he voted specifically in 2016 for Fontes, who is a Democrat, uh, to replace Helen Purcell uh, back in 2016 in hope that a new leader would reform the system. Uh, and in fact, he has the problem that they had on Tuesday was not the same problem that they had back in 2016. Still, the result was people could not vote. Kleinman said you would think after the bad things that happened in 2016 that the county and state would create processes that would prevent things like this from happening. Well, um, Fontes's first major election, which was a special U.S. House election earlier this year, went smoothly enough, but Tuesday's primary decidedly did not. As we noted yesterday, uh, to his credit, Fontes said, quote, this is not a hiccup. This is a serious concern where voters across Maricopa County could not get voting. So he didn't seem to minimize the problems as so many election officials do when they happen. Nonetheless, uh, both he and the Secretary of State had sought to keep voting booths open an extra hour or two uh, to, to make up for what happened, but that was derailed by the Republican Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Uh, I think it's four to one or five to one Republican on that uh, on that board. Um, uh, because, you know, they thought it would confuse voters, confuse to be able them, to vote. apparently, yeah, by allowing them to vote. So confusing. So what happened? What was the failure? Well, 
As the Republic reports, um, this uh, the problems were exclusive. At least this problem was exclusive to Maricopa County only. Arizona has uh, 3.6 million registered voters. Most of them, 2.2 million, live in Maricopa. Uh, the site books, I guess that's what the name of this electronic poll book system, the site books, which stores voter registration information and is used to check in voters at the polls, was apparently not properly installed at some polling places on Monday, the day before the election. And now, the check in equipment, they report, requires an Internet connection to access the voter registration database. And if voters cannot check in for whatever reason, they cannot vote. And, of course, this is just one of the problems that we've discussed with these so-called voting centers that uh, allow voters to vote at any of them uh, instead of at a specific precinct in order to use them properly. The polling places, these voting centers need to make certain that a voter has not already voted at a different uh, a different voting center. So they require electronic poll book check ins which in turn require Internet access and electricity in case the batteries run out. Right. And if they are not or the power goes out and if they're not set up correctly or if, God forbid, the power goes out or the Internet access is down for any number of reasons. And I know Internet access so rarely goes down. <laughs> but if any of that happens, voters cannot vote. And this is the same system now. The site books, electronic poll books that apparently they're using at all precincts uh, across Maricopa. So who is to blame here? Well, Fontes and uh, this uh, Tempe based company named Insight, they're each blaming each other. The county county had hired Insight Enterprises, uh, a technology contractor to set up the voter check in equipment on Monday and to provide tech support on Tuesday. According to the recorder's office, um, Insight successfully provided the recorder's office with setup services earlier this year for that race I talked about that went smoothly enough in 55 polling sites across Maricopa or actually in the specifically in the Congressional District 8 special election. Uh, and according to an email to um, to uh, county staff from Keeley Varvel, the chief deputy for the county recorder's office, uh, everything worked fine in the past with this company back in uh, in the special election earlier this year. The recorder's office said that the primary election contract for Tuesday had called for 103 inside employees to set up polling sites on Monday, but only 73 technicians actually showed up, at least according to the county recorder's uh, office, their, their email. Insight, however, says something else. Company spokesman told the Republic that the company was hired to provide 83 employees to set up the equipment on Monday and then 40 technicians on Election Day to troubleshoot any problems with additional support as needed. The company provided more employees, he says, than required. They gave uh, they had 85 on Monday and 60 on Tuesday. The recorder's office said technicians were so behind, however, on Monday that they missed appointments with building owners to set up polling locations at uh, typically churches and schools and so forth. And when it became clear that the 463 sites would not be ready on schedule, the recorder's office called building owners to try to reschedule appointments. 
so that they could get all of this equipment activated on Monday night before the Tuesday morning election. Uh, They also uh, began training county staff to set up the equipment, but why county staff were not already trained to set up this equipment is another question, along with why do we have elections that rely on so many goddamn private contractors to run our public elections? Uh, And the answer is because we keep making our public elections more and more complicated with more and more complicated computer schemes, which is just one of the reasons that I have, uh, frankly, have not been heartbroken about the fact that Republicans uh, in the White House and the Senate have sort of put a uh, a block on this, uh, at least one uh, new election bill that had been moving through the Senate but which ultimately will do little more than encourage more computers and more unverifiable results in our elections by sending millions of dollars to pay for it all instead of requiring simple hand-marked paper ballots that are publicly counted and paper poll book backups in every precinct. Uh, reportedly, uh, Maricopa just got uh, a whole bunch of money for their elections over the past year. So they've got it's not a matter of money. It's a matter of how they used that money. So until we can sort of come to some sort of consensus in this country about how to uh, run elections and how to spend money that Congress is talking about allocating many hundreds of millions more, you know, I don't want to give it to these private contractors I don't want to give it to these private uh, computer companies whose machines fail all the time. Uh, On Tuesday morning, the email from an email from the recorder's office read, quote, the contractor again failed to produce the number of staff they had promised. And so many sites were not set up in a timely way. Uh, inside officials uh, dispute that. They said only 40, only 43 sites were inoperable by the time polls opened on Tuesday morning. Only 43, does. <laughs> I mean, there well. were hundreds that were open, so they got all of them except 43. And so the hundreds or thousands of people planning to vote at those 43 sites were out of luck. But uh, <clears throat> the company... Uh, insists that the county was at fault, not his company. So um, who knows at this point? Uh, Insight, they say, we are committed to working with the county to ensure that disruptions to the voting process do not continue in future elections. You mean like the really big election in November, which is supposed to what? expected to have a gigantic, massive is turnout? There? When is that? Huge vote. It's this November, November 6th. November 6th. I'm going to write that down. Yes, please okay. do. I mean, this does not bode well for November. This does not bode well for really any county in November that relies on these systems uh, to to both uh, check people that would in be, and to vote. That would be damn near every county exactly. in the country. You know, and there are things people can do. They can get involved. They can be you can become a poll worker. You can go to your local uh, party and get trained as a poll watcher. You yeah, know, but learn- you know what? If the internet is out and you got a system that relies on the internet, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you can help out and you should help out. And I hope you do sign up to be a poll worker or a poll observer. But once again, we are relying on these systems, and this is why I have spent so many years. Trying, yelling, screaming, warning about exactly this. Um, 
uh, let me hit uh, just one one or two more points from Arizona and then uh, another report to underscore all of this. Uh, not all complaints were related to the late openings of poll sites. Uh, the Republic reports uh, state rep Jeff Wenninger, a Republican from Chandler, uh, tweeted that voters in legislative district 18 had received incorrect ballots for about 30 minutes. In uh, in one precinct, there were also reports of some voters experiencing long lines toward the end of the night at a couple of uh, precincts in Phoenix and Tempe. That's understandable given the failures in uh, the morning. But once again, this was a low turnout primary election. Well, I mean, the turnout was good, but it was, you know, lower than it would be in November, not a presidential election and not a general election, even a midterm. It's a midterm primary. So as you say, Des, what could possibly go wrong this November? And of course, as we always note, problems and or the scope of problems on Election Day or in the tabulation of results don't always become immediately clear on or even the day after the election. It frequently takes days or weeks or months. And that brings us to Nevada, who held their primary elections back in June. But we are only now As I always tell you, it takes a while. We are only now beginning to learn about the scope of much wider than previously reported problems on Election Day in Nevada. Uh, On Election Day, as you'll note repeatedly, uh, as we've noted, uh, they tend to be written off by the media as little more than hiccups, glitches, snags and or snafus. So you know what, man, on Election Day, whenever you hear about a a, a voting glitch, an an election snafu, be very worried. Don't listen to the election officials who, who tell you, oh, this is just a minor issue. We've got it all taken care of. Don't worry your pretty little head. So here's what we now know out of Nevada, uh, what, uh, about two months later after their primary, according to the Reno Gazette Journal this week. For Nevada voters and candidates, June's primary election did not go as planned. Officials said back then that a spate of well-publicized voting machine problems, including glitches that left some candidates off of ballots entirely or displayed the wrong slate of ballot choices to uh, voters, Back then, they said it only affected a small handful of voters. But a Reno Gazette Journal review of public records published this week finds that more than 300 uh, reported machine malfunctions came in uh, to the state. More than 100 were recorded in Washoe County alone. Those software hiccups contributed to a double voting snafu. See, told you that forced officials to call a rare special election in Clark County. Records reveal that they also saw Washoe County, uh, Washoe County uh, threatened with at least one election challenging lawsuit amid widespread reports of candidates being left off the ballot. Now, little more than two months ahead of the general election, they report election officials have said in interviews with the RGJ that they don't know how many improperly displayed ballots might have gone unnoticed by voters and unreported to poll workers during the primary. 
Several election attorneys interviewed by the Gazette Journal agreed that such unidentified irregularities could have had an impact on June's primary election results, especially in smaller local races decided by a few dozen or a few hundred votes. They also say that they, those problems might have impact on future elections if officials don't find a fix. Oh, you think? And yet, uh, by the way, one of the key U.S. Senate races where Democrats have a chance to uh, flip Republican, uh, the Republican-held seat held by Senator Dean Heller, uh, they're hoping to flip it from red to blue. That will happen in Nevada in, in, Nevada in November on these machines. By the way, Senator Dean Heller used to be the Secretary of State of uh, Nevada and uh, unlawfully, as we reported exclusively at bradblog.com, um, unlawfully uh, uh, certified the voting systems that they have been using for years, the 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that they use across the state of, uh, of Nevada. And now they have, uh, well, the good news is some of those machines have been replaced. The bad news is they've been replaced with all new 100% unverifiable voting systems this year. In 2018, um, there were uh, various candidate names not on the ballot. That's a huge problem, said David O'Mara, a Reno-based elections attorney. It's a colossal failure that people were improperly given the wrong voting cards and then, in some cases, allowed to vote twice. Yes, they were allowed to vote twice. Uh, on these, again, brand new systems they've uh, installed in Washoe County. That's uh, Reno. Uh, they, they use uh, Dominion's brand new 100 percent unverifiable image cast touchscreen systems. Uh, postal uh, election reports obtained by the Gazette show voters in 11 of the state's 17 counties reported voting malfunctions, including malfunctions that omitted candidates, presented uh, poll goers with the wrong slate of ballot choices. County officials, I love this, hewing closely to talking points provided by the voting machine manufacturer referred to the torrent of reported Election Day issues as, quote, isolated incidents that did not affect vote counts. So good for the Gazette Journal for noting that these county election officials were hewing closely to the talking points that came from the vendors. That's how this works. That's how this has worked for years. Uh, those officials blamed, quote, human error for many of the glitches. But post-election malfunction reports showed well over 100 hardware blips. Oh, there's a new one. Blips <laughs> uh, in, Nevada's, in Nevada's counties, ranging from printer jams and frozen screens to power failures. So are they blaming the humans for that? In other words, you know, human error, like the screen freezes. Yes, according to the voting machine companies and the election officials who repeat whatever they say, it was just human errors. Blame the humans. Don't blame the don't blame the voting machine companies. And let's give them hundreds of more millions of dollars for this crap. Um, more than three dozen voters in those two counties caught the machines presenting them with an incorrect, incomplete or otherwise pre-marked ballot. But, of course, we don't know how many people didn't notice that they were given the wrong ballot. Washoe County, back in June, said it was aware of fewer than 10 voters who were affected by the problems. 
But post-election reports um, obtained by the Reno Gazette Journal show the number of known malfunctions was actually closer to 113, more than 10 times what the county had reported back in June. Nonetheless, they note that county officials appear unlikely to abandon the machines from Dominion Voting Systems, the Canadian company that makes Nevada's voting machines, all of them. Officials in both Clark, which is Vegas, uh, the largest county, and Washoe counties uh, have said that they plan to work closely with Dominion to resolve technical issues before November's general election. So, in other words, don't worry. They're going to work with the companies who screwed things up in the first place. According to their website, uh, the company has clients in five states, but uh, in fact, they have much more than uh, five states. Dominion Sequoia systems are actually used in Arizona, Florida, California, Illinois, Louisiana, Missouri, New Jersey, New York, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Washington state, and I believe every single town in Wisconsin. Not that Wisconsin's ever important in elections. But uh, the paper notes it has a particularly long-running relationship with Nevada officials who first purchased machines from one of the company's predecessors back in 1991. Uh, looking ahead here, um, they're going to continue working with this company. Officials um, said that the, uh, there, there have been uh, you know, public records requests. People are trying to figure out what actually went on. There was one election that they had to completely rerun, by the way. Because it was a very close election and uh, one of the candidates wasn't showing up at all in the uh, when people were using these touchscreen systems. So they're going to give them more money to continue yep. messing up. So, yeah. And in one case, uh, Chris Sarman, a Republican candidate for Washoe County Assessor, uh, he was thinking about challenging the results from June. He requested that the county show him how ballots were actually displayed on Dominion's voting machines. And officials called that request, quote, unprecedented and quickly relayed it to Dominion, their overlords, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, who do they work for? The company uh, responded with uh, a series of talking points, as the uh, paper properly describes them, aimed at reassuring Sarman and others that primary voting, quote, went smoothly overall, apart from, quote, a few growing pains. That, the Gazette Journal uh, properly notes, was, quote, a near carbon copy of the talking points first distributed by the company and widely parroted by officials on Election Day. That's the newspaper saying that. That's not me. That's I mean, that sounds like you could rip that straight from Bradblog.com uh, about, you know, parroting. Uh, how the officials, uh, the, the election county officials will parrot what the uh, private vendors have to say. I'm glad the Reno Gazette Journal has finally noticed. All right, quick break, and we're back with more very serious concerns about your elections, uh, including not just uh, this year's elections, but going back to 2016 and uh, some Democrats who now appear to be concerned about what happened back in 2016. Better late than never? Maybe. I'm Brad. This is the Bradcast. (laughs) 
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Well, we sort of have an answer to a uh, mystery you may have heard about. Uh, we've been trying to get to for the past week. We now have the uh, answer to that mystery, at least in part today. Um, before I get to that, uh, two quick points. Next week, next Tuesday, September 4, in Massachusetts, it's your turn for primaries. That's uh, Tuesday, September 4 in Massachusetts. And then on Thursday next week, for some reason, September 6 in Delaware, your turn for primaries. That leaves only uh, New Hampshire on September 11 and Rhode Island the next day, Wednesday, September 12. Wednesday? Yes. Thursday? What's up yes. with having these elections they on weird days? really don't want people to vote, I guess. And, um, and speaking of not wanting people to vote, in uh, New York on Thursday, September 13, it's the New York state and local election primaries. Um, all right, well... We've been uh, trying to talk uh, past couple of uh, weeks about the fact that coming up on September, uh, September 6th, it will be 22 months since the 2016 presidential election, which means that the federal requirement to retain election materials like ballots and so forth and ballot programming and all kinds of stuff from the 2016 presidential election that will now uh, election officials can now destroy all of that information if they want. They only have to retain it for 22 months. So even though we never got to hand count all of the paper ballots in Michigan or Wisconsin or whatever paper ballots are available in Pennsylvania, those three states between them. Uh, had just three voters in each precinct uh, recorded a vote for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump, then she would have been the president instead of him um, in those three states. Uh, those ballots are about to be destroyed. But at least in Michigan, and I hope that uh, somebody is trying to save all of these ballots uh, so that we could actually count them one day to find out if Donald Trump actually won or not. But right now, it looks like the only ballots that may be preserved... Uh, at least will be required to be reserved, appears to be in Michigan. Detroit Free Press reported a few days ago that somebody with a lot of money wants to wants copies of all the ballots that Michiganders cast for president in 2016. All of them. Clerks across Michigan have been receiving identical Freedom of Information Act requests seeking copies of the ballots and other records from the election in which Almost 5 million folks voted in Michigan. Hundreds of communities were said to be receiving the requests. Um, one, of, one of the largest that state officials and county officials uh, say they have ever processed. Um, the request was dated uh, mid-August but arrived at different dates in different places, according to one of the uh, city officials. It's signed by someone named Emily. No last name was given. The request 
uh, asked that records be sent to a group named United Action Group at a post office box in Astoria, New York. Sally Williams, director of elections for the secretary of state, said she had no idea who Emily is and that she is uh, only known to be aligned with a company that we can't quite find any information on. This is an entity out there that has sent a request to many, if not all, of the clerks around the state. Uh, Williams, the secretary of state's office, uh, said her office is advising the clerks who are busy right now trying to get ready for the November elections and says it has unnerved a lot of them. She said rightfully so. I'm hoping we find out a little bit more about these requesters and what they are seeking to do. Among the records sought are uh, absentee ballots, envelopes for those ballots, records listing the names of voters who requested absentee ballots, provisional ballots and so forth, both counted and uncounted. And that uh, the secretary of state's office has advised that since there has been this FOIA request, those ballots should not now be destroyed. Um, However, it's going to be difficult, apparently, to fulfill this request. Under the law, only the clerk and deputies can handle ballots. Uh, One official said his city has no copy machine that is large enough to scan the 2016 ballot, which was about 19 inches long, that this is going to take hundreds of hours to do and may require special equipment. Well, now we know at least who is making this request. The Detroit News is reporting uh, late tonight that a voting rights nonprofit affiliated with a Democratic super PAC is behind this mysterious public records request. Priorities USA Foundation contracted a third party to send hundreds of these requests to clerks throughout the state. The nonpartisan foundation is a separate but affiliated group with Priorities USA Action, which is a progressive super PAC. That spent six and a half million supporting uh, Democrat Hillary Clinton in 2016 and about one hundred and twenty five million opposing Trump in that election. The ballot requests were sent as part of a research project aiming, quote, to determine whether any discrepancies exist in the ballot process across various states and precincts that might disproportionately affect certain communities, particularly communities of color and young people. We don't know much more about it, but it is a very costly request. And the good news is, for now, at least it will um, assure that those ballots are not destroyed or at least copies of them will be made available. Uh, Donald Trump is said to have won the election in Michigan by just over 10,000 votes. But, you know, there was uh, a reported undercount vote, undervote of some 50,000 Uh, Actually, I'm sorry, 75,000 in 2016, 75,000 people reportedly voted for uh, in that election, but did not choose to vote for president, at least if you believe the computers that reported the results in 2016 in Michigan. All right. Got to get out running late. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. You can download this broadcast or any other for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And uh, on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. Hey, someone make a, uh, a records request in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, will you? Love to save those ballots, too. All all right, that's it. Thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us fighting the good fight. Until we meet again, I am Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.